Welcome to Career in Ruins, where this week we're going behind the camera. Derek, how are you? All right? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm really, really excited about today's podcast, but I'll keep stum on that for a minute. Yeah, hold your excitement back. Hold your excitement back. How, how have you been? How's your week been? <laughs> it's been brilliant. I've had a, a great week and um, yeah, I've just, I've been on a bit of a high since our last podcast, to be honest. Um, the last one, obviously, Jim Leary, really, really interesting guy and an inspirational guy. And I started to read his book, um, I say read his book in an ironic sort of way because I'm listening to his audiobook on my commute and it is absolutely wonderful. I kind of regret not listening to it before we spoke to him now and being a bit more prepared. But it was it's <laughs> it's I'm two chapters in and it's great. Um, it's it, it's only drawback. It's only drawback. And this is a, a small one is it keeps making me think, which is problematic. Um, when you're trying to listen to an audio book, because <laughs> the last thing you want to do is go off on a mental tangent and then minutes later, your pages down the line and you don't know what the hell's going on, but <laughs> it's a fantastic read. And it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been, been really interesting. And it got me thinking about podcasting. It got me thinking about well-being and mental health and sort of the, the, the positive things that we do in life. And I think this series of Career and Ruins has given me a bit of that buzz across the board. It's, it's reignited, I think, my, my love of, of making the podcast and my love of, of doing Career and Ruins, but also how lucky we are. And I'm going to use luck despite some of our recent controversies with the term, um, because we are lucky. And we get to of an evening, what is it, Tuesday evening now, seven o'clock, I've got a small glass of scotch in front of me. Um, we get to talk to amazing people and hear amazing things. And I hadn't realised how big a impact that has on me as a human being. And it, as I say, I went down a bit of a mental rabbit hole on this commute listening to uh, Jim Leary's book. And it got me thinking about mental health and how people deal with various stresses. And as as you know, Lawrence, but our listeners probably don't, I, I have my fair share of mental health issues. I, I have depression. I take medication to, to get through it. Um, and I'm doing all right with all of that. Um, but the podcast really helps. And I suppose thinking about that against the backdrop of things like Matthew Perry recently and Robin Williams and people who kind of create and do joyous, happy things, but also struggle with demons. I, it just got me thinking about the, the, how how lucky we are to have this outlet to have a have an evening of joy a week, which is great. And it just, yeah, brings me lots of happiness. So that's my thought for the week. How about that's you? That's lovely. That's really lovely sentiment. And I love it, mate. I love it. And yeah, it's, it's the pleasure of hanging out with my best bud and making great me well uh, arguably great media I'll, I'll say it's great media but other people let's, might have let's other just opinions. say media media um <laughs> and hanging out with my pal also with a scotch but a few tens of miles away down the road but um uh, yeah the sentiment is is fantastic I, so on the on the theme of luck and and on that controversy around the, that those comments that we had um i i was watching the new brawn 
series on Disney Plus um, the other week. I don't know if you, I know you're an F1 fan. And um, there was one comment in there which actually encapsulates exactly what we, we t- what I think we mean when we say you make your own luck. And it's, it was something Ross Braun says. And um, he says that, um, that luck is preparation waiting for an opportunity and I, I i quite like that as a as a uh, as a theme so luck is luck and you can say say nothing about it and i completely understand it's stating that making your own luck is is a privileged position in in many circumstances but often what we see with the people that we interview is that they have prepared and they've gone the extra mile and they're ready to to take opportunities and and ride their luck make the most of their luck when when it when it comes to them i think that's that's one thing we've again part part of a lucky and privileged position we're in to do this podcast is we can see themes throughout all of these amazing careers and um similarities in all of the many people we talk to that um what they may see as luck is actually lots and lots of preparedness and and even even trying to Helen a few weeks ago she she claimed to be the luckiest person in the world but it was it was following on from huge amounts of preparation reading planning thoughtfulness Letters. ready to take that opportunity when it presented itself so so I, I I yeah I'm a big fan of that quote and I'm going to sit down and watch that although how's Keanu Reeves he's a bit wooden but I mean it's Formula One so it's, it's fine <laughs> I mean it anyway, was, what's going on what is going on um well, we, we should podcast really that's enough from us right <laughs> yeah unless unless you had another insightful follow-up sorry no I, I was i was purely gonna say um i was gonna go down a f1 podcast route but this i know that's not us but i will say that's one of my favorite f1 seasons in the history the modern history of f1 it was such a good year and uh, a great it's not, championship it's for not Jensen been Bunn. that good since it's not been that good since <laughs> Yeah, arguably, arguably. <laughs> anyway, enough from us, enough nonsense. Um, we have a guest today, and it's a guest I've been looking forward to for since since you mentioned it, since you did the booking, Lawrence. Um, today we are joined by one of our dearest, closest friends and colleagues, um, who is a documentary producer and director specialising in archaeology and history. Some might say an archaeological storyteller. And her her list of production credits are extensive. I don't know which ones to start with. Um, some of ones that have leapt out at me. Titanic, Case Closed, Lost Worlds, Into the Unknown, Secrets of Stonehenge, Digging for Britain, but best of all, arguably, Time Team. And that's, of course, where we met the brilliant Karen Kirk. Karen, thank you for joining us. Hello. Hi, chaps. How are you doing? Lovely to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Karen, it's so good to have you with us this evening and thank you for giving up your time. And as Derek says, I've been looking forward to to hearing this um, for some time now because we, in Career and Ruins, try to bring such a breadth of different careers in our profession. And they they can focus on fines, they can focus on academia, they can focus on heritage management, a whole host of different things. But what is fascinating talking to you while we're in the field and doing projects is your career in ruins and you I know that you have an archaeology degree but but you're not in a traditional sphere of archaeology and heritage and we can't wait to hear more about your career in ruins so please just go for it tell us about how you got to where you are today um well like many people I think it's not really that straightforward um because I've been an archaeologist so an archaeologist for Museum of London but I've also done a huge lot of TV, but it was really difficult to break into it, to be honest. Um, 
I, I've always had a love of history. Um, I kind of, you know, when you invited me on, I kind of hark back to trying to think when that was. And, um, and really, I think, you know, the moment came probably when I was about seven or eight, you know, probably like most people, you know, Pompeii. Everybody loves a bit of Pompeii, the standard school project. Um, and I remember not in a macabre way, but I remember thinking I really enjoyed talking about the plaster of Paris people. And I don't mean it, you know, because obviously that can be seen as quite, quite, you know, macabre. But but what really struck me was that, you know, through archaeology, you were reaching out to the past and to actually to a person, a person that was struck down in an event in the position that they'd died in their last final moments. And you could see what they were wearing. You could see their, you know, their final moments of some of them are, what was struck me was um, being together, lots of family members together, huddled people together. And it just, there was something in that that made me just get interested. And I just, I remember being, fascinated by other projects that we did, Roman archaeology people, you know, life in a Roman house. And I think that's kind of my first moments of really, um, if I look back with hindsight, that's when I started really understanding and knowing that I liked a bit of history and archaeology. Um, my dad did history and politics at, at university. So it was always a family thing. We were always taken to castles and, you know, always at a national trust. Um, you know, I was up in the northwest, so some of the staples were Dunham Massey and Quarry Bank Mill, places like that. And we just used to spend lots of weekends doing stuff like that. So it was kind of there in the inkling. And without a doubt, my son can't do the same thing. Um, walk past a hole without having a good old peep, because um, ultimately we are really nosy people. <laughs> um, and I think that really... Um, defines me and defines uh, me in my job because I'm a very nosy person. I like to know <laughs> what people are up to because I, you know, I'm always behind the scenes and I kind of like it that way. That's why I probably some people probably have never even heard of me and don't know anything really about what I do because I, I'm, I think in um, the time team photos, I'm just an elbow next to um, Matt Williams. <laughs> I'm mighty fine elbow, elbow at that. <laughs> it, it's very, if, uh, you try and find a picture of me other than the ones that are uh, the main frame ones, I I'm hide away. But um, so that kind of interest has always been there. Um, and so then, you know, stop me if I'm really yarning on, but basically, that history, um, you know, I did the usual history, uh, GCSE and A-level. And obviously, again, being in the industrial north, our history teachers were very, really excited by Industrial Revolution. And although I can tell you loads about it, I love it. I mean, I love all sorts of bits of history. I love everything, really. I love being really specific and finding out lots of different details. I, I forget them just as easy, but... Um, it wasn't really cutting the mustard and I have to give a big shout out to my history teachers Mr Reed and Miss Mrs Hall because they really inspired me particularly Mr Reed um, but ultimately when I was 15 I went um, I actually went on an archaeological dig so somewhere along the line um, archaeology popped its head and um, 
I don't know whether it was my mum that kind of signed me off or whatever, but basically I, I joined a bunch of old guys doing an archaeological dig, a Roman road, um, and they were desperate to find a marching camp on in between Ribchester and uh, I'm not sure Manchester. I'm not sure the route because I was, you know, being 15, I hadn't really paid a huge heap of attention. I kind of just went along uh, with them, and they they really did inspire me. I mean, they were obsessed by their military, but what they did for me was start me off digging and start me off being involved in archaeology and. Um, one particular, Mr. Reed came with me. So he was he was a real he was a really good teacher. Um, so we went and dug this uh, Roman road, and it was actually that bit of archaeology that we dug. We we dug about two meters down, and I remember it well because we got down to a turf layer. And I am, as well as being a nosy Parker, a complete and utter geek, which I'm really pleased by listening to all your podcasts. You like to admit quite freely as well. So being a geek, I put a piece of that um, turf into a St. Ivel butter box. I don't think they even sell St. Ivel anymore and kept it. And, uh, you know, I continue doing archaeology with these um, wonderful people um, who, who I've not seen for many, many years. But one of them, Colin Harding, was very influential in me getting into university as well in the future. But um I kept that piece of uh, turf and it came in useful because of the side GCSEs, industrial revolution done, I made a decision that I was going to go and do archaeology. And, um, you know, I was, I enjoyed art. I enjoyed drama. So these kind of play a little bit of a part later on. I am yarning. You can cut out whatever you want. But um, I... You know, I was I was actually really good at art and I nearly went to go and do art as a degree. I was super, super keen to get into Durham. And I'd said to my art teacher, if I don't get into Durham doing archaeology, whatever you want, go and do an art foundation course in fine art. Because I was good at art. Um, and, um, and to be honest, yeah, it, it, I mean... It's, it's in great place and it had um, a huge impact on me. And the, the reason why I saw turf, I got, I think I got in because I actually took that piece of turf interview to <laughs> Professor Rowley Conway, I, again, an amazing person, into what was their old department because I'm ancient. So I was there when they had their department on the Bailey. Um, and they actually, you know, it was the only archaeological department at that time that actually had archaeology in it. I remember him telling me that. And I took this piece of turf, like a geek, and told him all about it. And maybe that's what got me in. That and Colin Harding wrote me a spanking reference, which was really, really good of him. Um, so I got into Durham and, you know, it changed me because, you know, coming from the industrial northwest from Bolton, you know, really great people but when I got to Durham people who were just like me and it's a small you or it was a small universe thousand people and um the archaeology department was only probably about 70 people at that time close-knit community um 
people who were really passionate about archaeology, but but what was really important, a really good friendship group. And to the to that extent, I'm really still quite close with um a lot of those people now. And a lot of those people, um, so you you probably know some of them, Dr. Tom Moore, who's at Durham now, it was one of my peer group, Rachel Pope, Dr. Rachel Pope, yeah, friend of mine, who pointed out the other day when I put up on um our picture of time team family, she said, but we're first archaeology family. <laughs> <laughs> got in there quickly. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> but that that kind of her saying that reminded me that that's what we were. Um, we spent all our time together in the pub, mostly having a jolly good time doing archaeology, living and breathing archaeology, and just you know doing what we do now on time team, which is just being close and having and just you know just talking about um archaeological archaeological digs and just you know just you know really we we drunk a lot as well to be honest but so it was it was really good times and I did an undergraduate in archaeology there uh, and you know with some great people Helena Hamero who's a really big name on our time team front um Pam Braves Sam Lucy um Colin Hassel Braves there were some really really big names in um that department at the time and I'm you know probably missing lots of really incredible people like Matthew Johnson um and you know I just I, I enjoyed it I was there archaeology social sec and general busybody and I knew and and just loved it so um loved it so much that I stayed on I went I stayed on and did a medieval archaeology masters as well and both of those degrees really stood me in good stead um, for the future and I can honestly say because I heard you say the other day Lawrence that you had you sounded like you had an archaeology uh, sorry a, a university time like I did where you know you probably had a really good <laughs> a good time drinking good time. probably not doing as many lectures this that you probably should have been doing <laughs> so, sounds familiar <laughs> yeah so it was it was a bit like that because I have learned a lot through the jobs a lot more through the jobs um that I've subsequently done and um, look back and always kick myself thinking, you, you stupid person, just go to that lecture <laughs> and go and listen a little bit more. Cause I, you know, well, what do you know when you're 18, you know, you go to the pub, don't you? But I had a really good time during my time. Also at um, Durham, I did also do produce a lot of plays as well. So, so that's kind of, where I'm giving you the background to uh, what subsequently happened. I always was interested in, um, you know, performance. You know, I've done drama at school. I'm I'm rubbish at learning lines. Another good reason why a camera is just, you know, not me. I'm behind the scenes. Um, so directing and producing plays, I loved. And I, I did a bit of that when I first came to London as well. So, and I'd always kind of thought, you know, somewhere along the line, I, I I wanted to merge those two together. But like I said at the beginning, I didn't know where I was going. And, I, you know, listening to other people say the same, we all kind of, in the early days, you kind of have an idea, you know what you like, but you don't know where you're going. And it kind, kind of sort of bubbles along. But with hindsight, I was looking before I came on at what I've done. And it's weird because there's a kind of structure there as well. I kind of, you know, you're talking about luck at the beginning and you make your own. I think you have to be 
quite determined in the business that I'm in, you know, probably even archaeology, but like media is really, it can be really cutthroat. You know, documentaries, the genre is uh, is where I found my home, but other genres that I have worked in, I've been, I can talk about that, but I've worked in, I worked at BBC Drama. Basically, looking back at my career, I kind of see that that structure is there. But at the time, it seems all piecemeal because living in the North, I knew that I had to get to London. So I'd done my degree. I loved it. but I And I nearly did a PhD, but I knew I was ready to move on. I had, you know, I think that was that was it for me at that time. And it was probably the best choice. I'd love to go back and like all of you. Um, but I think I wanted to do some kind of media um thing so I came I came down to London you know there's there's work in, in now in Manchester but you know kind of the bright lights the big city I know that um Neil Emmanuel had talked about he he sounded like he had a, quite a similar um start to me you come down to London you scrabble and try and do anything that you can and if you know one of your listeners is listening and wants to do something like what I've done, that kind of job, you know, working in TV, but archaeology TV or, or whatever, um, it's quite hard to break into. I knew no one um, in the media industry. My dad, mum and dad thought I was barking mad, didn't know, um, didn't really understand what I, what I wanted to do. They wanted, you know, go and get a proper job, whatever. <laughs> um, but um, I went down and I did, I had a few running jobs when I first, came down just Karen it feels like there's a bridge missing here because you've, you've done your degree you've done your master's yeah and what was the spark or what 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 was what was there even a spark where what led you to going to London to want to do or what was it even wanting to do archaeology tv or so I kind of loved my archaeology my history and I was obsessed with you know I grew up with Mr Darcy Colin Firth, right? Pride and Prejudice. And I just adored all of those BBC dramas. There was a massive phase of period dramas and films um, that, you know, I mean, Pride, I think I've still got the video or the DVD here of Pride and Prejudice. You know, it, it meant a lot to me. I watched it over and over again. And what it was about it that I, you know, I it was fancy being in that, that time period, but you know, I thought that's that's what I want to make. Um, I want to do period dramas. That's in my head. That's kind of what I wanted to do. And I also wanted to work at the BBC. BBC I wanted as my first job. Um, and so yeah, that's that's kind of what London because that's where it's all made. You know, television centre, um, the drama department was opposite that. Um, doing drama serials series, films, you know, all clubbed together. And so um, I came down with not much money and, you know, had, had to cobble it together a little bit, rent and, you know, renting a room in a house with a friend of mine, you know. Um, and I sent off hundreds, sending off your CV. That's how we did it. You don't, no emails. You, you wrote... I remember going into like some weird computer center and just cobbling, you know, wrote the letter and, and got what there's a book called Pact, which is basically all of the um, people sign up to this companies used to sign up to it, whether they do now, possibly they do. And you just went through like addiction. It's a directory. 
and I just sent off my CV to all, you know, hundreds of companies. Please give me a job. This is what I've done. You know, I put in loads of stuff about producing plays and whatever. And no, nobody really wrote back. And it was really difficult. And not knowing anyone, it, it was just really hard. And I tried for ages to get in. Um, and then it is who you know, because I went to a party and a guy said, we're looking for a runner. And it was a BBC job. It was on a sports comedy programme uh, uh, on BBC Choice. <laughs> um, yeah, with a, a guy called, you might know the um, presenter, it was Dominic Diamond. He's the games master, right? Yeah, I remember. Uh, really, really <laughs> lovely guy, absolute heart of gold, um, feisty uh, Scottish guy, but he was a really generous man. And, um, you know, it was a really good uh, position to have got, but, you know, it was in sports comedy. But I just achieved one goal, you know, luck. That's what you were talking about, luck. <laughs> I My first job in TV was at the BBC. Um, so I made it that far and I did that. And then, you know, it's all contractual. It is a cutthroat business. I, um, that contract came to an end. It was a weird, weird show. It was like fighting mascots and, um, uh, I think I remember it. (laughs) You you remember it? Yeah. So like my job was, do you? So my job was really weird. As with most of the jobs that you ever do in this industry is that I had to go to, I had to source things like, um, you know, crap merchandise that football teams like Spurs. I went to the Spurs shop and they have really crap aftershave. I mean, Spurs and- have everything crap, Karen. I just, just <laughs> like that because they are Arsenal football. Oh, no, player. my husband's a Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, just like sourcing crap, getting audiences in, you know, oh, I can't even remember, just like really weird stuff. And, you know, it wasn't, sport you know I wasn't I wasn't the best runner to be honest but then um, that job ended it was really nice but they always do they come to an end um and the and somebody picked up my CV and so the next job I took was um with Prince Edward (laughs) and Prince Edward's company so they picked so (laughs) Ardent Productions needed a runner and so I ended up, and this is a bit closer to home, and I worked on a programme called Tales from the Tower, which went out on history, the History Channel. And it was a six-part, six one-hours documenting the history, like specific stories from the Tales of London, dramatised. So it was a docudrama, and it was all um, done on Prince Edward's estate. Um, and so I was doing... And it was... a you know, with hindsight, actually, I was, I was run ragged. So I always used to think at the time, I'm a really crap runner. But actually, the jobs, the amount of jobs that they, I was catering for 60 people, as well as I was in it, I dressed up, I was in it. So if you look carefully, you can see me in a lot of it. I was making blood, I was helping the art department, I was helping costume, I was driving actors around, um, you know, you name it, I was doing it and um now that we have such lovely catering it's um on time team i kind of see that runner shouldn't have been catering for 60 people i literally was catering for 60 people so i did that um and 
you know, as I said, to try and cut a long story short, um, the early part is really difficult. So I kind of thought I'm not really getting anywhere here. And so it was at that point, I think, um, that I then went and worked at Museum of London because that's obviously my other string to my bow. I was an archaeologist. And so, again, talking about your luck, I um, we'd studied when I was at university a lot of that in London, great burial sites um, in the centre of London, Bishop's Gate. And, you know, it had been, it'd been excavated since the eight, late 80s, I know, um, you know, some really interesting Roman burials had been found, lead coffins, because we used to, that's, you know, that had been what we'd been taught. But by the time I got to it, it was plague pits. So we were digging l lots and lots of dead bodies. But kind of, I was quite in my element with that, because I kind of, I, you know, it, some people can do it, some people can't. Um, because I, I kind of, there was part of me would have liked to have done forensic archaeology. Um, so that was kind of up my street. Um, so I, I did that, did that probably for about six months. And actually, you know, again, even though it's all been all over the place, what, when I look back at my career is happening, is all the jigsaw pieces are starting to come together. So, you know, I'd done my time as a runner and I was never a runner get, again after that. Um, but also doing the archaeology has stood me in good stead as being an actual archaeologist within a trench. Um, I also met while I was at Museum of London, which is one of the jigsaw pieces, some key people who you will also know, um, we may know, you'll certainly know Rakshar Dave. Um, so Rakshar was there with me and that's how we met. So she's very, yeah, she's a very old friend of mine and older than time team. She was actually my bridesmaid at my wedding. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, we're, we are quite close. Um, we need to tell her to reply to our request to come on career events. Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, no, I will. Yeah. I'll tell Thank her tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Not to your you career I will deliver <laughs> her to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so, and then also time team people will know David Thorpe and Kat Edwards who also did a um, they they were diggers in the early noughties on time team um so they they had been plucked by time team doing um archaeology and so so that was that but but I have to say one of the reasons why I didn't keep going at, and it does all fit into place you'll see is that in my trench, in my hole, and I've heard other people <laughs> say this about commercial archaeology, you're a little digger in a big picture and you don't always get talked to and you don't know what's going on and you certainly don't know the whole um, being of the and, and workings of the site. And I didn't, I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't, I found it difficult being just that little person. So that was another thing that kind of put me off, which now that I'm doing what I do, when I go um, to sites, this is what I love. And that's one of the driving factors is that I, I'm now that person who gets the site tour around there. I meet the director of the dig. I chat to that person. I tell me everything that they know about their site. And I go and see the people and I watch them dig. 
and um, it's a different place. And I prefer, I like that. I like that about my job. Um, but so so it kind of it was only a matter of time work before I realised that as much as I really love archaeology and I love digging, and Time Team has allowed me to dig on occasion. Um, certainly when I was an, a producer, uh, sorry, a, a researcher and assistant producer, I was digging, certainly on day three when things are kind of <laughs> needing to be moved and progressed. Um, so, yeah, lost my thread. What was I talking about before that? I'm not so, lost. So you, I'm not you, you, no, this is great. So I think we're just at the point where you're you know, leaving commercial yeah. archaeology and not being the little person. Yeah. And, uh, that that ambition, that drive, and that that yeah. nosiness is sending you to a point that you want to make. So, so basically, um, a job had come up in BBC Drama, so I'd seen it. So it was an assistant to producers, and I applied for it. And I'll cut that long story short. I got it, and mm. I got that job that I had really wanted to to come to London that was my driving force to come to London to get into the drama department to see if I could get to be a producer making um uh, dramas for the BBC now uh BBC tends to be quite cyclical in their output um and obviously I arrived at a time where period dramas were on the way we did we did um as part of Daniel Deronda and I and Charles II, The Power and the Passion. I can't say that I had a huge role. I was assistant to the producers that did, but that job allowed me to, and it was it was really quite good in that sense. Um, and so I I just did they did, um, and obviously I worked there for a long time. But again, cutting that long story short, um, it was a point when I was reading the script for. Charles II's Power and the Passion and the writer who's really famous Adrian Hodges came in and he was he said to me well, what do you think of the script you know because you're in a really good position you're you're there in the front door of the producers and what had um you know put me off it and I didn't say that rudely or anything but the and that's where I realized that I kind of probably was in the wrong place was that um the facts were all wrong. And he'd written about Barbara Villiers, who's the mistress of Charles II. And I don't think it actually ever made it into the the actual drama. I don't think I ever saw it when it finally came out. Um, and it was like basically Barbara Villiers um, de defaced a saint in a naughty sexual way. And, um, and I just didn't like that. The kind of the documentary filmmaker in me was kind of going... But that's not right. That's not factually correct. You can't say that. And I don't know. I just got turned off it. And you know, I said to him, he said, you know, that you can't. That's not factually correct. And he said, darling, that's artistic license, <laughs> darling. Um, so really, um, I kind of at that point knew that I probably needed to move over to documentaries. And um, I went out in the field at in the BBC. I, I was a production secretary and um, I did a few um, actual dramas out. Um, I did something called Paradise with Ralph Little, Charles Dale and Neil Morrissey. And I, I, I did that. And um, it was during when I was working on that, um, that um, my old friends, um, 
David Thorpe and Cat Edwards called me and said, we need a digger on Time Team. And so I, because <laughs> I was living in London and uh, not far from where they were doing, it was at Kew Gardens. So my first little role on Time Team was actually as a digger um, on this programme. And so I was there digging and I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'd taken a break. It was Queen's birthday or something. We had four days off at the BBC because they they give you that at that point. And um, so I did this Kew Gardens dig. I met Tony and I met everybody and I had a really good time and I really liked it. And um, and they liked me. And funnily enough, um, I don't think Tim was but he invited me to go to Derbyshire potholing and rock climbing for what I found out afterwards was the pilots <laughs> of extreme archaeology. <laughs> so I went, he went, do you fancy going potholing and rock climbing? And I went, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I'll come along. And so a group of us went up to Derbyshire and that was Alice Roberts, um, Bridget, so I met loads of people before I even really got in this. Jim Murrah, Bridget, Kat and David, and I can't remember who, Anise, I can't remember really who else. And we, but because I hadn't been told it was a pilot, I kept out the way. So you'll never see me in that either. <laughs> so, they, so they filmed their pilot for extreme archaeology. They, I went potholing and rock climbing. I loved it. And I was with my friends had a really good time. Um, and yeah, that was really good. But then I went back to the BBC and just... Um, carried on with my job but I realized that you know documentaries was my home and so Time Team had always been in the background of my life I'd grown up with it I then uh, applied so I applied to it and I applied to um, to get a job on it see whether they got anything and cut that long story short I got invited for interview to Time Team and I got invited in by uh, Simon Rapes and Philip Clark and you know I gave, I gave it my my best shot because this is what I wanted I knew this was it this is what I wanted I've been banging on the door in um, BBC documentary and I got nowhere with that either they were like oh well, you can't really slide over from drama they didn't like crossing over so oh. I was in drama and I was stuck in drama and they saw me as a drama person <laughs> oh there's a whole load to squeeze in there Karen you were worried at the start that you wouldn't have enough to say but oh I know well, I knew I knew this would go one of two ways. I knew that I'd either clam up and not be able to tell you anything and just go, or this would happen. One of the things that made me the most happy throughout you chatting there was, I think you might be the first person we've had on the podcast who switched to archaeology as the more stable career. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> but I, did, I, I definitely, the, the little digger in a big picture yeah um, sentiment is it's something that i think many many have felt it it, it came up today even um I, I went to a seminar with um uh, one of our brilliant phd students alice who's um talking about different ways of storytelling and doing archaeology and one of the biggest frustrations still at molar in fact um is um is this kind of not necessarily seeing the context seeing the story you're mm -hmm. you're helping to tell and um just going back to luck very briefly, it's one of the reasons I consider myself lucky to have been in the field with 
one of our old interviewees, Gareth Chafee. Um, do you remember chatting to him, Lawrence? Um, and he he insisted on every day showing us what was going on on the site, what the stories were, what every every section, every little intervention we did um, was was giving him to help tell the story of the site. And I really loved it. But without that, with the absence of that, I yeah, it was one of the reasons I went off and pursued did a different you find career. The same, then? Sorry. Very, yeah very very much um i i, I realized the, the further i went up in that that part of the profession the further away from doing the uh, both doing the archaeology but also asking the question and trying to get the whole big picture and that 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 for me is one of the best bits about time team because you get it in the space of three days it's blooming amazing yeah yeah time time team is incredible it gives you that it's for me it's that that joy and because that's what happens I became a researcher on time team and suddenly everything kind of tied together you know documentaries is my home for sure I mean I don't think I've strayed I've gone into news a bit but funnily enough within news I'm that and the story on archaeology is and so I did all the archaeology stories which I just have to hasten to add always get the bigger numbers so they always used to do the numbers at the BBC and the archaeology, the archaeology segment always got bigger numbers, way over the night. But um nice. <laughs> yes. good. Um, that is a good news story. That is a good <laughs> news story. Um so t- 2003 you said you started uh, with yeah, Team. And were you were you there until 2014 when it sort of came to a came no. to an end? No, I wasn't. So no, no, and I don't think anybody was who was all that way through because it moved to Cardiff in 2010 but I 2012 I think um so my story is that in March 2003 Time Team gave me that dream job the break that I wanted um that uh into documentaries and I was their researcher and the way I mean, we were quite a huge production team then. We're not like that now. It's just me and Emily and Rebecca um, and Felix. Um, Back then, I mean, Time Team still is um, and always was a well-oiled machine. Um, Let me tell you that. And, And that's behind the scenes as well as when you're on the shoot. I mean, when you're on the shoot, it's like a juggernaut. If you've not done your work, good luck to you. But... Um, so there was a team of, there was two teams and it was a two, an AP, assistant producer and a researcher, or one team, assistant producer and a researcher, another team, a cameo AP. And each of those teams then used to work with a director. And what we did is we had 13 shoots, as you know, and we used to leapfrog. So we had a month to research it research the site, go and wreck it, have a look at it, um, get all the maps, do, you know, get everything that we needed. And back then we didn't do any pre-geophysics. It was a rare beast that John got in there early. It was, you know, three days was three days. And, um, you know, it still still is. Um, Sometimes we do do a little bit more geophysics behind, um, you know, in the run-up just, you know, because we are a slightly smaller team. Um, so, you know, we had this month where we, we, we got it all in order. And, you know, it was lucky dip what you got. The sites at that point when I arrived there had already been 
um, sorted and we just did it. And so you had this month. So every two weeks, the time team was being filmed between March and October. And um, we just, you know, went through. And so, and it was also Lucky Dip, what, who, what director you got um, and, uh, you know, where you, what, you, what the site was. Um, so, so yeah, my first dig with them was, you know, with, with Michael Douglas. So really good. But yeah, so that's how it happened. What do you want yeah. to know? The, want the, the, the Michael Douglas. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, Doug. So um, he came to. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's probably why it goes like Doug. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that time team episode. <laughs> um, so, so um, this was obviously a springboard then, Karen, to take you on to so many things that, that Derek mentioned in, in your introduction with so many fantastic big hissing headlines, at, not just in Time Team, but elsewhere. Oh. So basically I came on as um, a researcher and did that, but then I stayed on to develop the sites for the next series. So instead of going at the end of that contract, they, they, they kept me on. So really I, I was there for four years straight in the end. Um, so I, the next job was finding the sites with a good colleague of mine, Ollie Twinch, and um, really nerve wracking, to be honest, you know, finding the sites because that's what I do now on Time Team, finding the sites, you know, figuring out whether it's got the story, um, you know, will it hold up, what we're going to find. So I was doing that really early on as a researcher and we did that over the uh, the winter period and then I went back on to the next series so I did two series of time team and then after that I got picked to do documentary specials um so probably glossing over this a, a little bit because um I did a couple of years doing that and I worked with some amazing people and and really within all that is my absolute best job I think oh is this something you're proud of because we gotta hold on to that cool um <laughs> well, <laughs> well well, it's kind of, it, it was good because at that time, so we had four documentary specials a, a year. And so Channel 4 gave us four hours. And my job in doing them with a director, because I was assistant producer by this, I got promoted to assistant producer, um, was finding those stories. And so that gave me the opportunity to really have a good think about what I wanted to do, what I, what stories, what archaeological stories I, you know, could tell within this brilliant, you know, piece of airtime that Channel 4 just, you know, because we were really doing well. That was, at the time when I was at Time Team, really was the halcyon, I, I don't know, everybody will say that about their own time, but, but I believe, and I think that quite a lot of people would concur, if that's the right word, um, that this period was like a really golden time. So we were making loads and it was just really, it was really good time. Um, and so I had these four hours and I, I cut this long story short is that um, I pitched the Jamestown um, documentary special, um, which was re really interesting. It kind of, it was the birthplace of America in Jamestown and it was a really fascinating dig and we got the opportunity and to join them and it was just incredible what they were finding stuff that they were finding over there in the bottom of a well was better because because the people who'd gone out there had come from the uk 
that the archaeology that they found over there was better than what had been, you know, than some of the archaeological collections here in the museum. The comparison because they just literally went out there and then they were they were you know the site only was in use for 90 years so we even know you know who was living there it was just a, a really amazing site you know in the bottom of the well they found like a, a, a loaded pistol you know a halberd that was bent a shoe they knew who the shoe belonged to it was a child's shoe it was just incredible and it was such a, an amazing site that um it was the year that we were doing the big royal dig at time team and um the queen that people had met the queen and, and the royal party um when they were doing the big royal dig and i think somebody had just said to because they knew that she was going the queen was going to go out to visit virginia and somehow because it wasn't me i think it might have been the director brendan hughes told said that the queen should go to jamestown and go and have a look at it because it's incredible she shouldn't just go to virginia go and have a look at this amazing archaeological day she did um, which was really interesting. That's she nice. changed her route. Um, so I did that, and I did um, Secrets of the Stately Garden, which which I'm quite proud of. <laughs> <I don't> want... <laughs> um, well, is this is this a good time to move on to our our, our set questions? I don't want to cut you short yeah, with your with your career, but I know it's great and but I mean there's I mean we could talk to you for hours Karen there's so many things I want to know more about the Titanic story I want to know more about secrets of Stonehenge of which I were both involved with but um (laughs) but um yeah we obviously have our set three questions and it'd be remiss not to not to get them in in our allocated time for this podcast so I guess the first question is is tell us of this fantastic career that you've you've carved out for yourself what is there something you'll visit a piece of work or is it um yeah well yeah it's going to be a piece of work but yeah what <laughs> what, what, what stands out <laughs> um so when there's a few things isn't there I mean there's so many different things that um we you know I've done that you, you know to pick one would be a disservice to to others um you know each of the programs that I've done, I, I'm proud of the fact that I, I was picked, you know, um, Titanic. Titanic is one of those things, um, events in world history that I just was fascinated with as a child. So to be chosen to make a program that we worked on for a year to do that and went and, and I went and saw a bit of Titanic. I didn't want to do what Tony did, which was the same year, actually. He went down with James Cameron to actually go and see Titanic. I, I just went to Las Vegas. My bit of Titanic was actually in Las Vegas. Um, but you know, there's, there's, I'm proud of the fact that I um, I went to Siberia, um, and I was that was for me that was a, the probably the most remote that I've been, and I'm proud of that because it was really, again, it was another. Once I've done Time Team, it's like what what do you do next when you've done your dream job, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but there's subjects isn't there and I'd always wanted to go to Siberia and going to look for a viable cell which is what the purpose of it all was for reconstructing a mammoth because we went out there with um, some scientists from South Korea and some and Russian scientists who were looking they were going to the Arctic Circle looking in the permafrost where we went to two sites Batagaika and um Another one, oh, I can't remember what, what it was called. It was deep into the permafrost. I mean, we we travelled up the Yana River 
with no contact to the outside world from Yakutsk. Um, we took a medical guy with us. I mean, we were remote. I mean, it was day. I wouldn't do it now, but I'm proud that I, I've done it. And we went and we found bits of mammoth and mammoth tusks and met extraordinary people. And, you know, it, it kind of meeting those people um, has, you know, the nosiness in me and, and the kind of wanting to see what and the traveling. I mean, you're right. I could probably go on forever, but like that is one of my proudest moments for being extreme but I in terms of project it's a time team one because I think the henge that we did in um uh, the Dorrington Walls Secrets of Stonehenge is that the right title I can't remember Secrets of Stonehenge Skeletons Bringing Back the Dead oh is the Skeletons the is a different one oh. yeah Journey to Stonehenge Journey to oh. Stonehenge <laughs> so um <laughs> So that the Henge Monument in Journey to Stonehenge is something that I can be quite proud of because it was our largest, and it's not the largest, um, I shouldn't say that, it was the largest um, experimental uh, replica that certainly Time Team had done. Um, and it just, it was really good, you know. So this was reconstructing the Southern Circle um, yeah. that was based on archaeological evidence and excavations of things you were, you reconstructed. Because I remember seeing the programme and both, so both Derek and I worked on the Stonehenge Riverside part of, but not, I came the year after that and Derek was in our lab in Manchester, Sheffield somewhere. Sheffield, it's a yeah. nerd, <laughs> beat him up. But um, yeah, but so this was rebuilding this fantastic Neolithic, timber circle effectively yeah yeah from scratch so um you know my job i don't know project manager is probably the a gl too glorified because i work with kerry ely kerry kerry cats trying again banging so i work with kerry on it and um the late ian barclay they they and a runner called dom who was on um the time team team and they did the graft so did the army we we got the army in to do the first the first two timbers so we got them on an a-frame and then they um you know brute force pulled it up so we wanted to see what it really was like how how it would have you know how they would have done it um and how you know how easy it was and it was it proved that it wasn't easy and then the rest of it was done by digger and we built it up um but, you know my job was to kind of bring that together i remember the first job was sourcing sourcing the trees you know get getting you know getting ringing up forest forest um companies and sort of trying to figure out what the best wood would be so we chose poplar in the end so poplar's the straightest quick growing i managed to get them all for free because like they were they were really i know they were really um because we had to be really specific with the dimensions it was great it was a nerve-wracking moment when you know arrival day but they came over the crest of the hill and they arrived and it was like thrilling to actually see them there and and you know so over a week it took us a week to put that together and it was just incredible and I tell you, what was good was the you know the camaraderie of pulling it together and doing it and it being a big monument but then it's standing in a field and it actually working so um I was talking about this to somebody not so long ago because you know by the reason why we do experiments like this is because you know it, it's not just about going through the motions and, and doing it and replicating that. Um, this this was, it just was really good how it caught the sun. We aligned it with, I think Clive Ruggles had um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's he did all the alignments and did and all the light out. Yeah. You know, it's a nice <laughs> I can't take credit for it all at all. There was a lot of people who came together to do this. And um what was really good, we left it over a weekend, it was all finished, and put hay in between all the the um the poles and and left it. And then you know, we lived down there for ages because we were doing a lot of filming down there. We came back after the weekend on the Monday. And what what really struck me was that um, you could walk any way you wanted through that monument because it was, you know, there were just timbers stuck in the ground. There were holes through them all. We hadn't, we hadn't sort of preempted thinking, oh, it's got a roof on it or it's got walls. We didn't do that. We just did the poles because that's what was in the archaeology that was in the ground. But the hay enabled us to see that all those people who visited it, because it was free for some for people just to come and it was just in a field that we'd hired, you could come and walk around it. Um, people had done exactly the same thing. They'd clearly walked in and turned left and followed it round because even though you know you could go straight through if you wanted, the hay showed us where people had been walking. Mm. And it was just, you know, it was just sort of um it was just really interesting. And um, if you want to see a picture of that, it's in the British Museum, which I saw the hey, other day. Nice. <laughs> I know quite a well-established professor who's based out of Southampton University, who I won't name, who um, accidentally <laughs> burnt some of your uh, timber yeah. circle. Very naughty little boy. <laughs> accidentally on purpose. I bet. That is such a good thing to like, and it's not not many people can say they've done such a fantastic and large reconstructed archaeological project. And I'm going to pass over to Derek's next bit because my dog's going mad, so I don't want everyone to hear. About <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, so obviously that's that's done done pride, but we always move on to envy next in the podcast. Yeah. And you've 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 worked with some incredible people in a huge variety of contexts. So I'm particularly excited to see what it is or who it is or what project or what thing that someone else has done that you're particularly envious of Karen envious of Karen well yeah I knew you were gonna ask that so I did have a think um and you know one of the things that I haven't done that probably would have been also a dream would have been to work even though it's not archaeologically related it's the natural world but um and the BBC do it very well to work with David Attenborough I, you know, I, there's all these incredible um, projects that he's done, and a few of the colleagues that I I have worked with, because you know, being an archaeologist and a media person, you are quite specialised. So there's a little group of us who have a very niche um, amount of skills. So we very much bubble along doing similar jobs. So I know there's a couple of people who I know who have been and worked with David Attenborough and you know that's something that I would have I wouldn't say that I'm envious because I'm really lucky with what I've done and I'm you know even if I hang my hat up and you know don't do anything else um you know I can I can say that some of the things that I've done is just like taking me across the world and and it's been amazing but that is something that I would have liked to have done but there was one person I do I work with on digging for Britain who um so I know know her a little bit because we you know she was on time team um a long time ago and um obviously digging for britain but alice roberts like great admiration for her and she's got a cracking career and 
wow what an intelligent person I think you know she's the kind of person that you wish that she was your big sister she's just incredible really talented in whatever she does um you know from art to whatever so if there was ever a little bit of greenness it would be <laughs> he's just so incredible I wish I was her sometimes <laughs> oh that's that's a fantastic envy and a very very sensible one and at some point in the future we will fan find a way of getting um alice roberts on the podcast um, oh okay yeah the, yeah the, the great white whale of career and ruins if you will <laughs> although she's met my dad weirdly yeah but richard's a legend yeah just some some sweeping drone b-roll around the harbour they came down <laughs> when was that this year uh, last year, I think I was in Greece at the time, so I missed it. But yeah, my dad was very happy. Yeah, she's really nice. She's such a lovely person. I really enjoyed working with her. I mean, we didn't work. She just did the studio stuff because obviously back when I was doing Digging for Britain, um, it was all video diaries and stuff and went on BBC Four. When it went to BBC mm. Two, then she kind of went back out again and did a bit more. So she was just doing our studio bits and obviously the the main um we'd go to a museum and she she um presented that so but yeah incredible person just you know super talented mm -hmm. absolutely Lovely. absolutely okay so we're coming into the home straight here karen we've got a working time machine that derek and i yeah. have uh, have got ready and raring to go you got a return ticket where would you like to take it and why um so Obviously, there's so many places that you can go. Um, but again, thinking about this, and it's a bit random, um, but I would like to go back to 1941's Blitz, London, which is a mm. bit weird, mm. because it's a bit um, dangerous. But what, what I'm interested in is not um, the not necessarily the bombing raids and, and, you know, the destruction, but the camaraderie. And it's that kind of great British spirit that we saw perhaps a little bit of in, during COVID. And, you know, I just, I do absolutely love um, sort of 1940s and, and, and wartime history anyway, but I just really would find it fascinating to go back and sort of see how that make do and mend, you know, British spirit, how that would have been. Um, I'd often kind of thought that probably born in the wrong time, but, <laughs> um, you know, 1900s would have been a perfect time to sort of see the world tick through. So I think, you know, blitz time would be interesting and just to see how people, you know, coming together in, in a really, I think that that would be really interesting. That moment when the Sutton Who shit burial was put into the ground. <laughs> I'd really like to have been there. That was an event. And I, you know, I just really like to know, was he in there? <laughs> <laughs> I think you were, as if I remember correctly, you're there with, so uh, yeah. You, <laughs> no, really? <laughs> you <go> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for your, your time this evening. I think it's so valuable to be able to, to see and understand the, the variations of roles within archaeological media and historic environment media and and science communication that you don't always have to be in front of the camera but actually there's a really important 
role in doing the research and identifying the stories and making sure it's proper science and not just fictional um um what, what was it your your writer described it as something rather darling um creative oh. license darling but but um but yeah being factual artistic license yeah but um but actually there are professionals there are experts and there are people with loads and loads of experience that are working bloody hard behind the scenes to make these quality content and and do this the archaeology justice and and do the profession justice and I think it was really important for us to be able to share your career in ruins mm. in that way Karen yeah indeed it's the people that make it it's interesting mm. thank you Karen that was yeah absolutely wonderful and I yeah I, I I was I was lost in your the story of your career it was absolutely brilliant to hear from beginning to end um and that just leaves me really to wrap up the podcast and as as is tradition thank all of our listeners um for choosing in we genuinely appreciate every single listen we get um we do it for one listen but we get two or three more than that so we're, we're very happy about that and thank you to our loyal band of patrons who continue to allow us to pay our hosting fees on time um without you it wouldn't be possible to carry on doing career in ruins so thank you very much and uh keep listening we've got lots more exciting people coming mm-hmm.